I'm your host, Karen T, and welcome back to another episode of Cookies and Crime. You know what, guys? It's 2023, but we still have serial killers on the loose getting caught. There's one in New York, there's one in Portland, which is crazy because I live in Portland. Just talking about the Portland serial killer, I haven't read too much on it, but apparently there have been four deaths that originally they were telling people it wasn't connected whatsoever, but recently they found out that they were connected and that there was a serial killer. And after hearing about that, I was like, you know what? I'm not walking meatloaf at night anymore. Even though my neighborhood feels a little bit safer, I just don't wanna risk it. I do think that they have a suspect for the Portland killings. Apparently someone's boyfriend had a connection to all those women and so she suspected that he may have killed them. You know, for a true crime host, you would think I would look into a serial killer in my own city that's happening right now, but I just haven't gotten to it yet and I'm sure I eventually will, but there's not a lot of information on this as there is on the one I'm covering today, which is the serial killer that has been caught recently, Rex Hewerman. This is the first active case that I've ever covered because usually I just do cases that have already happened and are solved or unsolved from back in the day. But because this popped up recently and because I am a true crime podcaster slash host, I definitely wanted to cover it and just follow along with the case. But before I continue, let's eat this episode's cookie. I feel like my choice of cookie this episode is going to shock a lot of people. You're gonna think, um, Karen, you make the most amazing cookies and you chose that. And to that, I say absolutely, because this is a staple, okay? So this episode, I'm eating double stuff Oreos, which is a classic cookie. I grew up eating this, you grew up eating this. It is a cookie that we can all rely on when we are craving something chocolatey and sweet and easy. And if you're like me, the stuffing is the best part of the Oreo, which is why I got double stuffed. And I actually haven't had an Oreo in a really long time. Like even though I grew up eating Oreos and I do love cookies and cream, I actually haven't had an Oreo in a very long time. So I'm super excited for this. And to go with my Oreos, I have also a classic cup of milk. It's whole cow's milk, which I feel like I have to say because everyone is on alternative milks today, which I am too. But when it comes to eating cookies, I just need a glass of cow's milk. Like I just need a glass of regular milk that I grew up with. Nothing can replace it. It's just not as satisfying with like almond milk or oat milk. I need the creaminess, I need the wateriness. And milk, like cow's milk just does that for me. Otherwise, I absolutely think drinking cow's milk is grotesque. I know some people that still do that and it's like, bleh, you know, to each their own. And I'm sure there is some nutrition to it if you drink it moderately. I just never liked the taste of cow's milk. So I'm gonna open up this baby. Oh, she is beautiful. She's cute. Look how thick she is. She has like four C's right there. That is a thick Oreo. Okay, so this is how I eat my Oreos. 
All right, I do love a soggy Oreo, I'm not gonna lie. So I'm dunking half of it into my milk and I'm gonna let it sit there for like a good 10 seconds. You know, we want that outside cookie to be soggy. I think that's good. I'm gonna let some of the excess milk drip off and then we bite into it. Mmm, oh my gosh. Yes, that absolutely is hitting the spot right now. Mm. Mm-hmm. Never underestimate an Oreo. I mean, cookies and cream is just an unbeatable flavor. It just, when you don't know what you're craving, cookies and cream just does it for you every single time. And with a cold glass of milk, it is just so refreshing. This is a whole dessert in itself. And I have to say Oreos is one of those cookies from childhood that you know, comes in a package is processed that still holds today. Like it's still good. The flavor is still good. I haven't had like a Chips Ahoy cookie in a very long time. And I used to eat that as a kid too. And when I recently had it, it tasted like I couldn't pronounce the ingredients, you know? It was just like a little bit off. I mean, I would still eat it. It's just, I, it, it's not what it used to be for me when I was younger, especially the soft chewy ones. Those just taste really artificial to me, but Oreos have just beat the test of time. Okay, now that I have my cookie fix, let's get into this episode's case. It's time for cookies and crime. This is the case of the Gilgo Beach serial killer. On May 1st, 2010, 23-year-old Shannon Gilper and her driver, Michael Pack, left for a client's house, Joseph Brewer, in a gated community in Oak Beach on Long Island. Gilbert was a sex worker. At 4.51 in the morning, 911 dispatchers received a phone call from Shannon who claimed that people were trying to kill her. She fled from the house and was last seen banging on doors of homes in the neighborhood while screaming for help. That was the last time she'd be seen alive. After she was reported missing, a search began. In December of 2010, a few months later, police searched Gilgo Beach, which is located on the south shore of Long Island, New York. Here, within the bushes, they found a body, but it wasn't Gilbert's. Then they found another, and another, until they found four bodies, none of which were Gilbert's. This was just the beginning, as a total of 11 bodies were found in Gilgo Beach. The four bodies that were found while trying to find Gilberts had a lot of similarities. All victims were escorts who marketed their services on Craigslist. They were petite, being 5 feet tall or shorter, and under 100 pounds. They were all strangled to death, and then wrapped in a camouflage burlap. These similarities indicated that there was a serial killer on the loose. These four women, Maureen Bernard Barnes, Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Lynn Costello would become known as the Gilgo Four. But before we get into these women, let's go back to Shannon Gilbert. Almost a year and a half later, Shannon's belongings were found in a marsh, and then on December 13, 2011, a quarter mile away from her belongings, they found her body. The investigators don't believe it was homicide. They believe she may have been on drugs, which would explain her behavior when she ran out of her client's house in a panic and died of hypothermia or that she accidentally drowned. Although she was also an escort, they don't believe her death is related to the Gilgo Four. 
but her family doesn't buy that story. Their lawyer, John Ray, doesn't believe it either and believes she was killed by a serial killer. Her family had an independent autopsy done and the results were much different from what the police had ruled. The results were consistent with a homicidal strangulation. Her death certificate states her cause of death is undetermined, but according to the former New York chief medical examiner, Michael Baden, there's no evidence of a drug overdose or drowning. And I believe this is an ongoing battle to determine how she truly died. It must be such a horrible feeling when the police aren't on your side. I mean, her death, I don't feel like is that simple. I mean, to me, her death has very unusual circumstances and I feel like they should really look into whether or not someone had killed her. Also, because there are recordings of her phone call to the police where she believed that someone was trying to kill her. I believe her family and her lawyer are still fighting super hard for her and I really hope that they get some answers, especially with the serial killer that they just found. So let's jump back to the Gilgo Four. Maureen Bernard Barnes was the first body to be found on the search for Gilbert. She was 25 when she disappeared and was last seen on July 9th, 2007. Maureen told her sister she was heading into New York City for a modeling gig, but she was really going to see a client as an escort. A mother of two, Maureen was struggling to get by, and even though she was working a telemarketing job at the time, it wasn't enough. She was about to lose her living situation and needed to find a way to pay her bills. So that night, she was never heard from again. Shortly after her disappearance, a friend of Maureen's, Sarah Carnes, received a phone call from a man on an unfamiliar number. The man claimed that he had just seen Maureen and that she was alive and staying at a whorehouse in Queens. He refused to identify himself and could not tell Carnes the location of the house. He told Carnes he would call back and give her the address, but never called again. 24-year-old Melissa Bartholomew was from Erie County, New York. Melissa moved to the Bronx to work as a hairdresser, but got into sex work instead. On July 12, 2009, she met with a client and deposited $900 into her bank account. She was never seen again. One week after her disappearance, Melissa's younger sister, Amanda, 15 at the time, got a call from her sister's phone. But it wasn't Melissa, it was a man, taunting her and torturing her with details on how her sister was killed. He called a total of seven times in a five-week span. He would threaten her and told her she was a whore like her sister. The police traced the call to Madison Square Garden, Manhattan, and Massapequa, but were unable to identify the caller. 22-year-old Megan Waterman went missing on June 6, 2010 after placing ads for her services on Craigslist as an escort. Her boyfriend at the time, King Cruz, forced her into prostitution. She was seen leaving a Holiday Inn Express and never returned. King Cruz was already on the police's radar, but Cruz didn't know who the client was the last night she was seen. She was a mother of one daughter. Last was 27-year-old Amber Lynn Costello. She was a sex worker and unfortunately a drug addict. Her sex work allowed her to fuel her addiction. On September 2nd, 2010, she reportedly went to meet a stranger who had called her several times and offered $1,500 for her services. Her family thought she was in rehab for her addiction, so she was not immediately reported missing when she stopped responding to messages and phone calls. So those four women are the Gilgo Four, and it's so sad that two of them had children. Their moms were just 
doing what they had to do to support their lives. And then someone just comes and takes that away from them. And these kids, I believe, are pretty young when their mothers went missing. And I am pro-sex work when it comes to their safety, their health, them doing something they might be passionate about or comfortable with. And so to think that this serial killer can just get rid of these women because of what they had to do to survive makes me so angry. Those type of men who just think women are objects are like the scum of the earth. And honestly, I have a lot to say about this guy who was caught because he is just like, ugh, so disgusting. But let's, let's get into some more information before I go off on this dude. The other bodies found out of the 11 included an Asian man and a two-year-old toddler. Some of the other bodies were also escorts, but police don't believe all the bodies are connected, but they are still trying to figure out if they are connected to one serial killer or not. For example, another body that was found was of Jamie Seymour's, a 21-year-old escort and drug user who was last seen in Brick, New Jersey on July 22, 2005. Another thing I noticed is that all of these sex workers are so young. I feel like at that age where you're going from a teenager to being a young adult, trying to figure out how to be in the real world, trying to figure out how you're going to make money, if you don't have the support, if you're not going to college, seems like a very rough time. And sometimes you end up in places that you don't wanna be. And so I feel so sorry for these girls. Before Rex Hurman was arrested recently, investigators had another suspect in mind. John Bitroff was already a convicted killer who had murdered two sex workers and is suspected to have more victims. He was arrested in 2014 for the deaths of Rita Tangretti and Colleen McNamee. Two of the other bodies that were discovered were just found three miles away from where Bitroff used to live. But now we know there's more than one serial killer. 13 years later, after these women began disappearing, 59-year-old Rex A. Hurman was arrested for the murders of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. He is also the prime suspect in the death of Maureen Bernard Barnes. Rex Hurman was born in 1964. He was born and raised in Long Island in the Massapequa area. He attended Burner High School and graduated in 1981, along with actor Billy Baldwin. According to a neighbor who went to the same high school as him, no one really hung out with him. After the news of his arrest, the town passed around a photo from his high school graduation and no one knew much about him. Already from this information that's not a lot, I feel like that's already saying something about who he was. Because from a lot of the serial killers and murderers that I have researched, that's always there's always something about high school where they were kind of off, no one really knew them, or they were bullied, or they were the outcast, so it's giving the same vibes. He was working as an architect and had his own firm called Rex Hurman Architecture Design. He's worked with Target, Nike, and even Donald Trump. His firm is located in Midtown Manhattan. According to a former employee of his, he hired mostly women who were attractive and petite. He would rave about his love of guns and tried inviting certain employees to go hunting with him, which made them uncomfortable. I mean, I would be too, especially with the way that this man looks and I'm sure the way that he acts, it just comes off as plain creepy. Like I'm trying to think in my head 
of when I used to work in an office and if any of my coworkers had asked me to go hunting with them. I mean, in general, I've never hunted and I, I don't necessarily have anything against it unless it's like trophy hunting and you're doing it not to survive. I would just be weirded out, especially if it's a man and he's in a place of power or he's like my boss. No matter how close I am to that person, immediately I would think, oh, you want to take me out there to shoot me like a deer or something. Obviously, this man didn't have an HR team at his job because that is crossing the line. And it is so disgusting to me that he hired mostly women who he found attractive and were tiny, which seems to be his type. Because he is in a place of power. He's not hiring people necessarily for their work ethic or their experience. He's hiring them because he wants eye candy in the office and he just wants to feel like he's helping out these tiny little women and oh my god, I want to punch this man in the face. Anyway, he was married to Asa Ellerup and I'm so sorry if I'm saying her name wrong. Asa, 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 something like that. It's ASA. They were married for more than 27 years and they had a daughter together and he also had a stepson. He still lived in his childhood home in Massapequa, in a quiet neighborhood where everyone was friendly with each other. He also had other properties in different states. A new task force was assembled in 2022 to solve this case. Authorities began to zero in on him when they received a tip from a witness who saw Hurriman's car, a Chevrolet Avalanche, before Amber Costello disappeared. In March 2022, a registration search showed that Hurriman owned a first-generation model of the truck at the time of Costello's disappearance. He also matched the witness's description of the man believed to be the killer, a large, white, ogre-like male in his mid-40s, around 6'4 to 6'6 tall. He had dark, bushy hair and big, oval-style 1970s type eyeglasses. Okay, I've been waiting for this part so that I could say his description so that I can just freaking bag on him for his looks, which I know is not nice, but this is not a nice man. So I feel like it's okay. He is a grotesque human being. First of all, when I saw photos of him, he's so, he is absolutely tall. I was like, this guy must be about like 6'5 or something. And his face is just, I mean, he looks like a serial killer. He, his hair looks like a serial killer itself. It's just like, it's really old school and it's like brushed neatly, but makes him look so aged. And honestly, his face looks like the mask from Mrs. Doubtfire when it gets run over on the middle of the road. If anyone knows that reference, that's what his face looks like to me. And you can't tell me it doesn't look similar in some way. To me, it does. And so again, just like knowing what this man looks like, how big he is, how tall he is, and the fact that he targeted petite women just makes me so angry. Because obviously there's something sadistic going on here that he wants a tiny woman to make himself feel big or that he just wants to feel like this super powerful man that can overtake a petite girl or something. And ugh, it's so frustrating. But that's what I have to say about this man's look. His use of burner phones also led to his arrest. At the time when the three women went missing, they had been in contact with a person who was using a burner phone to arrange to meet them. The burner phones used to contact the victims always pinged off the same cell towers as Mr. Hurman's actual cell phone, indicating that while using the burner phones, he always had his actual cell phone on him at the same time. 
The burner phones also paint off cell towers in two key locations, close to Hureman's office in Midtown Manhattan and close to his family home in Massapequa Park. One of his victims, Melissa Bartholomew's own cell phone, had pinged from Midtown Manhattan and then traveled to Massapequa Park. His internet searches also revealed a lot of information that doesn't help with his innocence. He had searched the internet thousands of times to see the progress of his own case. So podcasts and documentaries about the murders. So when Hureman was arrested this July, it was actually also the first time I heard about the Gilgo Beach serial killer and the Gilgo Beach murders. And podcasts and documentaries have been out about that for a while. I just never really heard about the case. But that is basically what he was looking up this whole time. He was looking up the Gilgo Beach murders, which he did himself. He searched the details about the victims and their families. He searched for explicit pornography, some including children. Some specific searches were girl hog tied torture porn and 10 year old schoolgirl. He searched for nearby sex workers, including Mistress Long Island and Mature Escorts Manhattan. He also searched why could law enforcement not trace the calls made by the Long Island serial killer and why hasn't the Long Island serial killer been caught. It must really be embarrassing having people go through your Google search, but this man's Google search is terrifying. And honestly, with his demeanor, where he is a very sadistic person, but I feel like that's when he's just around himself. Everyone else sees him as this put together person. So I have a feeling that when they looked through his search, he was probably mortified and so ashamed, which he should feel because these are such disgusting searches. And yeah, these like, they call him red handed with his Google search basically. My Google search probably doesn't look as innocent either because I'm always researching true crime, but I'm not searching any of this other sadistic stuff that he is looking up. So if for ever any reason investigators have to look through my Google search, I feel like it just shows that I'm a cuckoo head for a true crime. I also look up some really random stuff sometimes. So they might even find like, why are my toenails so long? You just get curious about things sometimes, you know? A woman named Nikki Brass also came out on TikTok claiming she had gone on a date with Hureman more than 10 years ago and he gave her weird vibes. She had met him on what she calls one of the sketchy sites back then. He outright asked her if she liked true crime. He then couldn't stop talking about the Gilgo Beach serial killings and seemed to have known things about it that weren't in the newspapers. She was so freaked out she didn't want to stay for dessert. As another dessert girly, that's saying a lot if she didn't want to stay for dessert like this man was creepy. After the dinner, he asked Brass if she wanted to go back to his place, but she hesitated. Something didn't feel right. When she refused to leave her car at the restaurant and get in his car to drive to his home, he got really angry. That's when she knew she needed to get out of there and she never saw him again. I'm so glad that she followed her instincts at the end of the day because I believe they were still sitting at the dinner table. And so I feel like as a woman, sometimes it feels hard to refuse something when like someone's paying for your dinner or like they are paying for a service from you. But no, like if you are in literal danger, who gives a shit at that point? Save yourself. Do what you have to do in order to feel safe. And that's advice for myself also because I am a major people pleaser. Ugh, 
and I hate that about myself, but you know what? I'm, I'm working on it. When examining the bodies of the victims, they shockingly found hair on or near the victims that belonged to Hurman's wife. But investigators said that his wife was out of town during the time of the killings. Her hair most likely transferred from her husband onto the victims. Hurman's DNA was also found on one of his victims. His DNA was taken from a pizza box thrown away by Hurman in his garbage and it helped identify him. First of all, I, I would feel so nauseous if my DNA was found on someone else because I had been in contact with the killer. I would feel so nauseous that somehow my physical being had come in contact with one of the victims. Second of all, this is a good reason why you should eat your whole pizza and not leave crust, you know? Because from the pictures, he left a whole bunch of crust. Like, and it wasn't even like a clean cut eating the pizza and leaving the crust. Like, this man is a freaking savage the way he ate this pizza. And for that, he got caught. I am the type of person who eats the whole pizza because I feel bad leaving any food behind. Like even if I have two bites of food left, I take that stuff home with me because I feel like, oh, in 45 minutes, I will enjoy these two bites and it won't go to waste. And even when it comes to pizza, sometimes I get it, the crust doesn't always hit. But even in those cases, I will eat the crust because I just, I feel like I need to eat the whole thing or I'm wasting money. Not eating the crust is like luxury living and I can't afford that quite yet. A week after his arrest, Hurman's wife filed for divorce. The whole family was blindsided by this discovery, having not known that Hurman had another life of hiring escorts and murdering. It also sickens me to know that he has a daughter. He has an adult daughter and I have a feeling she's probably around my age because Hewerman is around the age of my parents. And just to know that your father was not only hiring escorts, but looking up like child pornography and torture porn, like I, I would never want any type of relationship with this person ever again. I would never visit him. I would never acknowledge him. I would not go to his funeral, anything. Like I, I cannot believe he was a father. And I also love that his ex-wife wasted no time in divorcing him, as she should. Police recently spent 12 days searching his home for evidence. They ripped up his yard and tore through the house to find what they could. According to a neighbor, his childhood home is in disrepair and is basically an eyesore in the neighborhood. There's overgrown weeds and it's unkept, which is really strange for an architect or even just a businessman working in Manhattan. During the search, they found a basement vault that contained 279 weapons and guns. This basement was also a soundproof room where they believe at least one victim was killed there. So this isn't your basic basement because a lot of homes in certain areas have basements, but this is a soundproof room with three inch thick concrete walls. No one really needs this in their basement unless they're hiding a secret. I mean, the man has more than 250 guns. And so sure, you probably want to secure that, but also why do you have so many guns? I'm not for owning a gun at all, but I feel like even if you're obsessed with guns, like maybe 10 is fine, you know? But when you have that much, there's something absolutely concerning and wrong going on there. 
And now investigators are seeing if there's a connection between Hurman and unsolved murders in Atlantis City, North Carolina, and Las Vegas. Hurman and his ex-wife had bought two timeshares in Las Vegas between 2003 and 2005. In 2006, four sex workers' bodies were found in a ditch behind the Golden Key Motel in Atlantis City. The connection isn't confirmed yet, but this case is still very much ongoing. If that is the case, if he did murder these women in multiple states, he's going to be up there with some major serial killers. And currently, Hewerman has been charged with six counts of murder, three first-degree murders, and three second-degree murders. When he was arrested, he was very quiet. When an officer said he was under arrest, he asked why, and that was pretty much it. He's pleaded not guilty to all of it, and apparently he was distraught after he was arrested. So the fact that he's pleaded not guilty also kind of tells me that, yeah, he is living a double life where on the outside, he's this businessman who owns a firm, he has a family, he's put together, he seems like a decent person, maybe. But on the other hand, he's this sadistic, narcissistic man who loves torturing women, who loves overpowering women, and is just a complete sicko. But he doesn't want anyone to know that. So he's just playing this guy who is quiet, who is professional, who is a family man who would never do this. But his Google search says otherwise. His DNA matching says otherwise. Honestly, we've seen it time and time again. And he really should just give up the gig because he's not, he's not leaving prison. <laughs> he's not going anywhere. So that is currently all the information we have on Rex Hewerman. By the time this podcast comes out, there may be more information. And definitely once everything is said and done, I will cover this again once more information comes out. But that is the case of Rex Hewerman. Okay, let's get into some cookies and crime trivia. So first, we're going to do some Oreo trivia, which is honestly so much easier than trying to find trivia or like facts on the sugar cookie, which I did two episodes ago. So this is going to be a multiple choice question. Which of these Oreo facts is false? So three are true and one is a lie. Let me know which one you think it is. Is it A, the number of Oreo cookies made in a year would circle the earth five times? B, Oreos are vegan. C, it's the most popular cookie of the 21st century, aka it's Milk's favorite cookie. Or D, Oreos were first created as a laxative cookie. Again, A, the number of Oreo cookies made in a year would circle the earth five times. B, Oreos are vegan. C, it's the most popular cookie in the world. Or D, Oreos originated as a laxative cookie. I'll give you five seconds. Are you ready for the answer? All right, the one that is the lie is D. That may have been too obvious. I like literally just came up with that at the top of my head and it was a little bit out there, but you never know because Oreos originated so long ago, it may have been a laxative cookie. And honestly, for some, it may still be a laxative cookie for them. But A is true, factories around the world produce 40 billion cookies every year. So it should circle the earth about five times. By the way, Oreo is not sponsoring this, even though they freaking should at this point, because I am 
hyping them up so much. Oreos are also vegan, which isn't on this website I'm looking at right now, but I've heard that so many times. And it's true because on the bag itself, it says it contains wheat and soy, but it says nothing about dairy or milk. So if you're vegan, you can still enjoy Oreos. And see, it's the most popular cookie of the 21st century. In 2018, Oreos brought in $3 billion of revenue, which is pretty insane for just this one cookie. Anyway, we're gonna continue with the cookies and crime trivia and on to crime. The question is, Rex Hewerman was charged with first degree murder and second degree murder. What is the difference between first degree and second degree murder? I will give you five seconds. Okay, so this is majorly, majorly simplified, and I think it can differ from certain states and whatnot. So first degree murder is premeditated. They had planned on killing this person before the actual killing. And second degree murder is the intention to murder the victim, but they did not plan it prior to the act. So it could be something that happens in the heat of the moment. And then just to throw it in there, third degree murder is intentionally harming someone, but you didn't expect to kill the person, but they do die. And I always forget the distinction between all of them. And I feel like it can get really fuzzy sometimes, especially with this case where there are three bodies, but there are six counts of murder. And I'm not sure what the reasoning behind that is, but I think maybe it's because they know that Hewerman has murdered these women, but they're not sure if it was premeditated or not. And so they are just hitting him with both. And apparently in the state of New York, which is where these murders happened, under first degree murder, they consider things such as if the victims were tortured or if there's multiple murders, which I'm pretty sure there was torture and there's multiple murders here in this Hewerman case. So that is also why he's charged with first degree murder. So that is it for this episode. So again, as more information comes out about this case or most of it is solved, then I will cover this again. And I also want to let you guys know that there is a merch promotion going on today. With any purchase of any merch on my website, you will get a free Cookies and Crime merch t-shirt with it. It's a t-shirt that is not listed on the website. And long story short, it's because there's a little defect on the shirt, but I figured out a way to remove it. And so I wanna give it to you guys for free. So the first 30 people to buy merch from this promotion will get that free t-shirt as well. It's a white t-shirt with cookies and crime embroidered on it. If you go on the website, it's similar to my hoodie, just on a white t-shirt instead. I hope that makes sense. I will put it in the description again and you will see the promotion on my website. I also have a new shirt available on my website. It's a green t-shirt with also cookies and crime embroidered on it. I love it so much. Go check it out. And that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Stay safe out there and we will meet again in two weeks.